the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 935. Thanks for being with us this morning on Always Write Radio. And it's a pleasure now to welcome back to our program the Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Ohio, John Husted. Lieutenant Governor Husted, good to have you back. How are you? Bob, thank you. I'm great to be back with you. So you guys have had a little bit of stuff going on. Uh, we're going to do flying cars in Dayton. Is that what's happening? Oh, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> the, the birthplace of aviation is now the future of aviation. You know, since the Wright brothers built planes there uh, over 100 years ago, uh, Dayton has not really capitalized on its aviation history by manufacturing airplanes there. And after, uh, you know, after 120 years of hard work, we finally got it back. And and uh, Joby, which makes uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, which are air taxis, uh, are going to build uh, about 500 aircraft a year there create 2,000 jobs, $500 million in capital investment, and it's just another, that's a, that's a big lift, literally, for uh, the Dayton <laughs> economy and the spirits of the people of Dayton who take great pride in, in their aviation heritage. Now, how much do you know about this? I'm not suggesting you're an engineer uh, and, and can figure out the, the, you know, the physics behind it, but I mean, I'm thinking Jetsons-style stuff here. When you talk about vertical takeoff, then propulsion, and then vertical set down, you know, like we see the Harriers, you know, uh, you know those particular uh, uh, planes that, that can do that in the military, but that's a little bit different than what we're talking about. Is this... Like, how close is this? Is this legitimate, and how would it be regulated? Oh, how yeah. Would be, how would the traffic be run? Would air traffic controllers have to manage these, quote-unquote, flying cars the way they do, you know, airport takeoffs and so forth? So they're being tested right now in Ohio at the Springfield uh, Municipal Airport. There's, yeah. a, a, there's a testing facility there. I've actually flown one via a simulator, okay, and it's so easy to fly that I actually took it up, took a little travel around in the simulator and did a little travel around uh, the city of Springfield and landed it back at the airport, no problem. And uh, uh, that's how easy it is. It'll be piloted. It won't be just something that anybody can get into and, and fly. It'll hold uh, a pilot and four passengers. But it has a range of 100 miles. It can fly up to 200 miles an hour. Uh, but the investors in it are Toyota, Delta Airlines. Delta was there yesterday. This is just, um, you know, a, a next a next level form of transportation. It's funny that you mentioned the Jetsons. Uh, I had somebody yeah. send me uh, the opening to the to the cartoon TV show Jetsons yesterday when this guy got announced. And um, it, it's really they're really really interesting uh, technologies. And you can go to. You can go to their website, Joby Aviation, and see um, the product in action. And uh, they opened it up for, you know, they're going to create 2,000 jobs. They opened up their uh, site where you could apply for jobs at 7 a.m. 7 yesterday, and I think by noon they had 400 applications. So 
people wow. seem pretty excited about do, it. Do you need a pilot's license for that? You do, yeah. Uh, okay. But this is, this is um, I mean, they're, I, I'm not going to, I want to get too far out in front here, but this is um, a technology. I mean, look, we've had that you could you could fly these things without a pilot if you wanted to. Let's face it, we've because that's where you know it's right next to Wright Patterson Air Force Base. That's where all the drone technology was invented that we have been using in our military for many many years. These same technologies um, apply to what Joby is doing and other there are other manufacturers in this space as well. But it's pretty fascinating stuff. It's, I'm, I'm I don't want to get a little over my head in terms of the technology and. And engineering, as you mentioned, but it's it's pretty exciting stuff. Well, yeah, it is, and and I'm looking at it right now on the website on the Joby Aviation for people who want to know. It's J O B Y Aviation dot com, Aviation dot com, and, and I'm trying to. I'm not trying to be cynical here, but I'm wondering, like, what's the difference between this and a helicopter? It rises up from a vertical. Uh, the, the, vertical the difference. Point. Well, the difference is it's so quiet um, because it's electric, and so. Uh, it is, I mean, it's, I think they said when it's flying, it's like 65 decibels, which at a thousand feet, they said you would sound like the wind. It wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be problematic for, mm. you know, in, in, in any way, you know, those, those kinds of issues. And look, some people, some people are, uh, um, looking to re, you know, have easier access to these kinds of, uh, you know, these types of travel situations. I'm curious how they would be used. Like, would they have, you know, because it's being called like a taxi, right? An air taxi. Uh, yeah. And so, I'm, I mean, are we talking about short trips where these things can land in, in the streets or are they going to have to land at airports? No, you'd have to land them in like the same kind of place you would land a helicopter. That's a similarity. But I think, okay. I think that, I think that, uh, that the airlines view it as, hey, you know, we can add this as a service to our, to what we do is that if you, you know, let's say that you land in Cleveland, but you really want to be uh, in Youngstown, that they can, you know, move you off the plane and into one of these things and take you to Youngstown. You don't have to drive there. I'm, okay. Or right. I think it's, I think that's how they view it. And then when you get into bigger cities with a lot of congestion, uh, they can move you between airports. They can move you from office towers to airports, things like that. Uh, it's not like it's, uh, it's not like these are going to be, uh, you know, something that. Is every that are everywhere? They're going to build like 500 of them a year. But when you think about it in a global market, there, there certainly seems to be like there would seems like there would be a market for that many a year globally. Well, and I would imagine if it proves to be effective and efficient, um, the, you know, 15, 20, 25 years from now, they could be everywhere. I mean, I don't, I, I mean, I don't, you know how technology they, they is be, and yeah, how it I expands. Mean, yeah, it's crazy. It's, uh, it's but it's amazing know, that they're but, being built right here in Ohio, and it's going to be changing, po- potentially changing the the face of, uh, in some ways, of transportation, and it's all going to start here in Ohio. That's very, very cool. Um, we're talking to the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Ohio, John Husted. So a couple of other things before I get into uh, COVID season, because that's what I really want to ask you a lot about. Um, we have two very big, important constitutional amendments to decide on on November 7th. I was, quite frankly, very, very disappointed with the lack of effort from the executives in our in our state government uh, toward 
uh, you know, passing the the special election amendment uh, on August eighth. I know Governor Dewine issued a statement. I think you know, just basically via press release that he endorses uh, passing that to raise the threshold to sixty percent. But he didn't go and travel the the state the way a lot of others did. Um, and I was very happy to see that the Secretary of State did, that the auditor did, that uh, you know the uh, the Attorney General. I mean, there a lot a lot of a lot of people in leadership did a lot to get that passed, but not the governor. And I don't know what you did during that period of time. Will there yeah, be more I traveled, of an effort? I traveled. Okay, I traveled and I apologize for that. I, I really didn't like know about you. I just know that the governor himself did not do much. So what is the plan for you and for Governor DeWine and everybody at the, you know, particularly Republicans who oppose this constitutional amendment to, uh, you know, to provide any time access to abortion and more without parental consent, uh, stripping away of parents' rights with issue one, and then, of course, the drug one on issue two. You Do you have plans to, to be yeah. actively involved in these? So, absolutely. Uh, I, I know that I heard the governor use the term that he's all in on trying to defeat issue one. Uh, he feels very strongly about uh, the right to life and, and feels that this is a radical proposal uh, that would more suited to California or New York rather than Ohio. Uh, we'll both be out there uh, campaigning for a no-no, no on one, no on two. Good. Um, but, the, but the governor's already been out raising money, organizing people, um, activating the Ohio Republican Party, activating uh, pastors and ministers and, 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 and the Catholic Conference and everybody trying to, to make sure that all hands are on deck to defeat issue one. Yeah, it's extraordinarily important that we get you know everybody rowing in the same direction here because we're talking about something more than and I don't know I don't want to minimize it by saying just abortion but it's not abortion alone abortion is a huge factor here but it's it's being framed because of the ambiguous language of those who wrote the you know wrote the amendment the proposed amendment um in a way that takes parents rights away from guiding their kids during some of the most vulnerable moments particularly whether they're you know dealing with an unplanned pregnancy as a teenager or or, you know, gender confusion that is being fomented in so many different places, and these kids can go on, uh, you know, puberty blockers and do chemical castrations and so forth based on the language of the amendment, Lieutenant Governor Husted, without mom and dad signing off. That's how important this is for parents' rights. Yeah, and you don't have to take your word or my word. I encourage everybody to read the actual amendment themselves and read it closely and watch and, and look at this word. It says, Every individual. It doesn't say adult. It doesn't mm-hmm. say woman. It says individual, which means every individual, which means kids, uh, have the ability to seek reproductive care, however you want to define that. And it can be defined broadly by a judge or by a doctor. And, and that would allow ch- you know, children to make their own decisions. And so if your 15-year-old... Um, uh, became pregnant, uh, and maybe under circumstances that even, you know, she could have been raped, she could have been uh, impregnated by an adult, uh, that they they could be forced to go get an abortion, and the parents wouldn't even know. And uh, look, this is this is a big issue. I think that we really need to focus on is parental rights, because I think in some ways the political left is trying to take away 
parental rights in making decisions about children, and they think that the government can do a better job than parents. And that's a serious, serious concern. That's just one aspect of what's wrong with this amendment. Yeah, um, and I'm glad to hear you say that, and I'm, I'm glad that you and the governor plan to get out there and be very, very visible and very, very vocal about this, because this is um, this is going to set Ohio back, I think, in, in immeasurable ways um, if we become in any time. It's the most radical potential. Const- and we've had some losses since Roe was was overturned and it became states' rights. We've had some losses in, in states that, in which um, abortion has been radicalized, and this particular legislation, or excuse me, amendment, language, I think, is the most radical of any of the other ones that we've already you know, lost ground in. So, Yeah, it is very radical, and, and, and it's good that the governor will be out there, and I'll be out there, and a lot of statewide elected officials out there, but one of the things that I know we hope to do is lift up the voices of a lot of the women out there across Ohio who believe that this is a radical idea, that they want to protect their daughters, they want to protect themselves, uh, they want... Uh, in Ohio that respects life. And so I think it's very important that we elevate a lot of our uh, female voices who are are out there to give them uh, the stage to make this case, because I think, frankly, they can make it a lot better than, than m- many men can. We're talking to Lieutenant Governor uh, John Husted. So, Lieutenant Governor, let's talk about the new COVID season now. The shots are supposed to be ready by the end of this month. Uh, they are saying that they um, are good for anybody six months of age and older. Um, I would like to know what the position of the state government is, particularly by way of the Ohio Department of Health. In fact, before I ask you about that, let me ask you this now as we kind of do a little bit of, you know, retrospective, you know, look back, a little reflection here. Now that the actual big global pandemic is in the rearview mirror, what lessons do you believe that Ohio government has learned from the way they handled it the first time? Um, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned that we needed to ask tougher questions of the medical prof- the self-appointed medical experts. On, on this, uh, that we needed to challenge and ask more questions, and I think we've learned a lot from that. I think it was in our in our natures to just trust whatever a doctor or a medical professional said, and I think that that's changed now. That we uh, need to ask tougher questions. That we need to bring dissenting voices uh, further into the conversation on a lot of those kinds of issues, so that. Um, uh, we can make better judgments. I think that's probably one of the main takeaways that I have from it. And uh, and that when you educate people and you give them the truth and the facts, that they will make the best decisions for them. For example, we one of the one of the points I pressed all along is that it was very different for older people who were maybe had comorbidities than it is for children. There was no reason to do some of the things that that were done to children because they were not affected by uh, the virus the way that older people and less healthy people were. All those good lessons to take away from it as we inform the decisions going forward. Do you think that those lessons will be applied this time around? Again, CDC says that the new variation of the drug or the Moderna and uh, and uh, Pfizer-BioNTech products 
um, are good for six months of age and over, and everybody six months of age and over should get this thing. Based on what you just said, we know that children are not affected the way older people with comorbidities are. Will the state be pushing these and promoting these into the arms of uh, of young kids and even adolescents? Uh I certainly won't be, uh, and I don't believe that there is any plan for the, anyone in state government to be involved in doing anything like that. If people want them, if they it, if they want them, great. That's what that's their choice. But there is uh, uh, no plan, to the best of my knowledge, for anybody to be promoting these kinds of things to to anyone. And look, it's it's your choice. If you're if you're older and you think that this is important to you, just like the flu shot, then go do it. But if you don't think it's a good idea for you, your kids or anyone, I mean, look, it doesn't affect kids as much. So I just don't think that the, my opinion as a parent, not as a medical professional, is that, you know, I don't think my kids need this stuff um, the way that, you know, maybe my parents do. Does the governor share your views on this? Because I got the impression um, two years ago, two and a half years ago, that you guys were not always in lockstep. He seemed to turn virtually everything over to Amy Acton. Uh, now that position, of course, is held by by uh, Dr. Vanderhoff. Um, does he share your your view on this, or is he going to step away again and just let the Department of Health make every decision, regardless of some of the lessons learned on the things that you know the the, the ramifications and the impact of lockdowns on school children, uh, masking, forced masking, which was mandated by the state in many places and areas and circumstances. Um, now that we know the damage that was done by a lot of those things, and moreover, that the exhaustive studies that didn't exist before then, randomized control trials about the effectiveness of masks and stopping respiratory viruses like coronavirus. Now that we know the reality of all of this, will will Governor DeWine act on the lessons learned? I think so. Uh, I don't know that he shares precisely my views on these issues. And, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and to his credit, he lists, you know, he gives me the chance to share my views, even when I disagree with him. But ultimately, these are his decisions. But I think he, I think he, um, in what I've heard so far in in any communication uh, on this, that he, you know, he thinks that the public knows the facts now, and and that they can make the decisions for themselves. That that, uh, and I think I think that's largely his view. Um. The reason I'm I'm being very specific about this again is because I feel like um, Ohio did a very very grave disservice to people with uh, with the panic that set in, and I don't mean panic by the people, I mean the panic by leadership. And again, that is not to specifically impugn you. I'm just you were the lieutenant governor, and and Governor Dewine did what Governor Dewine did, and I think a lot of people lost a ton of respect for him in pushing the vaxes through the Vaximillion program and so forth. I wonder if they are going to be more specifically aware of the way the CDC is characterizing this new virus or the new subvariant, rather, uh, Lieutenant Governor Husted, because, I mean, I've got headlines all over the place, not from places you would typically see, you know, skepticism, but NBC News uh, reporting that doctors cannot tell the difference between the new COVID variant and allergies and the common cold because people are presenting with nothing but sore throats and uh, congestion. Normally, when people have sore throats and congestion, they pop a, a you know a lozenge into their mouth or their throat, and they take some Sudafed for their congestion, and then they go back to work and go to school. 
Um, I want to know if the state of Ohio leadership, and I don't know if you've had any coordination or communication with the Department of Health, that they recognize that. I want to know if they plan on acting on the reality of what this is, which is pretty much next to nothing, and we need to stop testing everybody that comes in with a, with a, with a, with the stuff he knows. Yeah. Uh, look, I have heard no conversation from anybody internally inside the administration about uh, about taking any action in this space. Uh, I. So if there's I been mean, no huddles with Vanderhoff or anybody in the uh, no, Department of Health. None that I, completely none that I've been involved in or I'm aware of. And to the best of my knowledge, uh, you know, there's there's just no conversations about it. Nothing. So if there's no conversations about it, does that mean that they're just going to let this thing play out, or do you think there are things being done maybe without your knowledge? Uh, I don't. I. I would be highly surprised if there is, because honestly... Um, were, were you involved you know, in the original? Because um, this could help shine a, a light on that. When the huddles were held between the governor and, and Amy Acton, the health director, and everybody else that was a part of Ohio's policy at that time, were you involved in all of those? Uh, not initially, but uh, eventually I was involved in many of those, and, and, and I used that as an opportunity in many cases to share data that wasn't being shared, uh, and particularly about kids. I was really leaning in hard on getting sports back for kids and getting kids back in school because the data was very clear. It wasn't affecting kids. And kids need, you know, they need to go be kids. And that was, you know, one of the things, one of the roles that I played and also trying to get uh, regulations that weren't anti-business that helped get businesses open uh, I was very much involved with those things, but I wasn't on every call. I couldn't possibly be. I, I picked the things I thought I could have an influence on. Uh, but I do know this, that there were a lot of hospitals and doctors who were in the governor's ear talking to him about, you know, why he needed to be tougher on things, uh, why he needed to be more restrictive on things. And, uh, you know, look, he's in a tough spot and he was trying to find a balance and, I think everybody learns from learns from those experiences, and you know, taking us back today and looking forward, I, I, I like I just don't believe that you're going to see anything from the state of Ohio in terms of asking anyone to do anything from from masks to vaccines or anything else. I think that if they that people know what the facts are, uh, and they can make choices for themselves. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. And I remember interviewing you during that time uh, that sports were allowed to restart again. And uh, and I know you were you were one of the leaders on that front. But I was just more curious about how much in the know you were as the original policies were established, and then, then as they changed, as the guidance changed as time went on. Because I w- I want to know if they would be doing things now, maybe without your knowledge. Are you? I don't think so. Go ahead. I don't think I don't I think I would know something about it if there were any plans. And I just don't I've not seen anything where anybody at the Department of Health is is uh, planning anything of the sort. Uh, last question. Are you going to run for governor? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll wait until after this uh, election cycles over. But if I run for anything, it'll be for governor. And, and, and it's probably likely that I will. 
All right. Well, uh, I look forward to uh, engaging in conversation along that path and uh, particularly, again, to, to see where things go from, from this point forward. We're looking for leadership in the state that, quite frankly, I don't think we have gotten a lot of from the current governor. And I know you work for him. You don't have to respond to that, but we're looking for something stronger and better. So uh, just to kind of throw that out there, that's what I know a lot of my listeners and a lot of your constituents are looking for as well. So hopefully what you're describing now about the state's response to this quote-unquote new round of COVID season or what have you um hopefully um you're right well, and uh bob i'll leave you i'll leave you with this okay. that if there's anything of the sort you can count on the fact that i will i will be very very uh vocal about making sure that we give people uh the the freedom to make their own choice medical freedom is what i'm looking for there and 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 if you're if you're willing to say that then i think a lot of people will be amen. very happy amen to that, that. Yep. All right. Lieutenant Governor John Husted, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, congrats again on Ohio getting the uh, the flying cars. We'll look forward to following that up, too. Thank you, sir. Great. Thanks. Flying cars are coming to Dayton. How about that? That's a crazy story. Uh, I needed to get that in because I saw that on the news yesterday. And uh, obviously, the state of Ohio is pretty proud of that. All right. Uh, we're coming up on the top of the hour. We're going to get a newscast, and we're going to come back with Kersenow. It's a Kersenow day. Stay here on Always Right Radio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.